This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Welcome back to Titanic Talkline. I am your host, Alexia. And uh, before we get into this interview, I just want to remind everyone that you should be following the show on all the platforms. And I'm really excited to get to this interview. Um, Rose and I had a really, really amazing discussion about, you know, feminism and female sexuality in Titanic. And um, I think it was a really great discussion. I hope that you agree. I hope that you learned something and uh, that you have a beverage and a snack ready and are prepped because here we go. So uh, why don't you just tell me who you are and uh, maybe like the abbreviated version of your Titanic story, if it's really long or if mm-hmm. it's short, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Rose. I'm based in the UK. I'm currently in uh, Devon, which is very far south near the coast, which is quite beautiful. Definitely relevant to be by the sea. Um, yeah, so I think I think probably like a lot of people, my Titanic story started with, with the film. I think like a lot of people, I think with my age group especially, we were kind of at that age where watching something like that had quite a big impact, which it definitely did. Agree. So that would have been at around 11, I think. I think I was 10 or 11. I think the film was rated 12 in the UK, but my parents let me watch it a bit early. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I loved it. I found it tense and and exciting and and sexy and fascinating and yeah just kind of everything you want when you're 10 (laughs) and your brain's developing and then yeah then it kind of started from there really and now I'm almost 31 and I'm still quite obsessed with not just the film but the you know the the whole history of the Titanic I think and the the you know the whole historical story of it as well. Did the movie come out in a different year in the UK? Because it came out in 97 here. And yeah. I saw that when I was eight. And I'm 33. I was trying to piece this oh. together. Oh, maybe, to be honest, my math is terrible. It may be my mathematics coming into play here. I think I was 10. So, yeah, it came out in 97. I was born in... I came out in 97, but I saw it. It had already been out. So I think I think I probably saw it a couple of years later. Yeah, gotcha. I didn't I didn't actually watch it in the year that it came out. Is is that when you watched it? Kind of actually in the yeah. year that it was released. I I did get to go see it. I I'm lucky in that my parents were they weren't they weren't they didn't let me just watch anything. They weren't like oh whatever you want to do free access to the world. They were. They were pretty reasonable about what they let me watch, but they were much more liberal with like sex and nudity than they were with violence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once they saw what this movie was rated PG-13 for, they were like, yeah, you'll be fine. Because I was eight years old. They were like, mm-hmm. she's not going to go out and immediately start smoking and drinking and all that shit. So they were just like, all right, we can take her to see it. And I really wanted to see it. I don't exactly remember why, because I didn't have Leomania. Um, but I just remember really wanting to see it. I think because it was such a hype. I was just like, well, if I'm not part of this, I'm going to be mad about it. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. I think I don't. So we were actually living. I grew up in um, Hong Kong, actually, weirdly enough. So we moved back from Hong Kong in 90, I think in 97. And I think we probably watched the film in 99. 
I think so my parents had watched it and they had kind of vetted it I suppose and checked that it was it was appropriate right. <laughs> you know and you're right it's 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 only rated a 12 in the UK which I don't know what that is in in the US I don't know if that's the equivalent of it sounds like a PG-13 it's a difference yeah. of one year but yeah it would it would be that I mean because it had yeah, it had like a the little bit of nudity in it which I think like mm-hmm. I can I can talk about this later but for me that was quite a kind of eye-opening thing because <laughs> it was quite 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 new for me I think at that age um and yeah I suppose it's got it's got a bit of violence and you know there, there's obviously the whole the whole experience is is terrifying so yeah. you know it, it does and it captures that so well so yeah there's definitely elements of it that are probably a bit you know like a, a bit scary for for a child but it- it's true. I think it, I would call that like more of a thriller in that sense mm-hmm. and that it was, you know, very, very tense. I think that for my mom, what she qualified with so much as violence was like, she didn't want me to watch The Patriot where someone literally gets their head blown the hell off. She was like, all right, that's just a little insane. But I remember watching, I think I must've been around a similar age, maybe a year or so older, but I was young, young. I was watching a movie called The Red Violin. Have you heard of this or seen this movie? No, I've never even heard of it, which is surprising. I thought I was pretty good on films. So is that, <laughs> does that come out kind of late? Oh, 98. There we go. I've just, I've just yeah. Googled it. Yeah. So I, I, I played violin growing up. I started when I was like seven years old and I remember watching this movie, which was number one. I remember it being very tragic. The movie starts with a violin maker's Mm -hmm. wife and son dying in childbirth. Okay. So he varnishes a violin in her blood and this violin Mm -hmm. makes the most beautiful, sublime sound. Mm -hmm. And it follows its owners through history. And like every single one of its owners has something absolutely horrible to happen to it. And one of the guys who gets it is this like weird nymphomaniac prodigy that only gets like mm-hmm. inspired and plays violin while he's like fucking. And then like we're introduced to him because they're like waiting for him to show up on stage. And then he's not coming out, not coming out. So they come to the dressing room and they just hear moaning and a violin playing. <laughs> they burst out all ruffled up, storms on stage and performs. And it's just like, uh, that happened. I remember there being the grave robbing of a child as it goes along. It's a, it's a really wild movie. And yeah, I th- I saw that at a similar age as, as Titanic. So I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was gonna say that that sounds great I can't believe I hadn't seen that like that it, but yeah it's intense for, for you recommend it's very dramatic but it's like yeah. I can see where some I can see where some people would argue that that is inappropriate but like I'm sorry I'm going on a tangent so speaking no, that's all right I used to work at a video rental store yeah oh cool yeah and it was one that actually lasted a really long time because it was independent so I still worked in it in like 2012 2013 um, it only really shut down, I think, in 2015. Oh, that's surprisingly late, actually. I know. And again, because it was this independent neighborhood franchise that it not only had what was new, but it stocked old stuff, hard to find stuff, foreign films, and not just like the popular ones. You get almost anything in there. And I just remember, you know, I worked checking people out. And it always fascinated me to see how parents treated their girls mm-hmm. different than their boys. There's one couple, I mean, I'm, I have a million examples if I thought about them, but there's one that's always just like rent free in the front of my brain. Mm-hmm. And it was, this woman comes up and she has two kids who I'd say are of a comparable age, but I think the girl was older than the boy. So I think she was maybe like 11 or 10 and he was probably eight or nine. 
and he wanted to get a video game. I don't remember which one, but it was like Call of Duty or something absolutely violent. And she wanted to get some rom-com. I don't remember which one, but I'm going to say it was 13 going on Mm -hmm. 30 because it was one of those kinds of films. Mom said no to the movie because it was inappropriate for the girl, but yes to the video game. And I didn't say anything. You're not allowed to say anything. But I was just sitting there like, "Eh." (laughs) yeah, why though? But it's it's exactly. weird, isn't it? I mean, it's it's obviously I'm not I'm not like American. I've never been to the US, but I know that it, it, in a way it's probably similar to the UK. That yeah, our reaction to nudity and and sexuality, especially if it's consensual and everyone's enjoying themselves, is yeah, is is way more, more extreme. Yeah, exactly than than intense violence or or you know re, re, or even sort of like drug use. Which again, I don't know where that would land on the scale but it, it's weird that that's that nudity is considered more extreme you know when, when it should be something that's kind of beautiful and normal and and actually quite healthy in a lot of ways i yeah. agree and i think that and unfortunately this goes way beyond my pay grade and depth of knowledge into like especially not especially but like at least I grew up in a Western society, obviously, so I don't want to speak, like, for the whole world. Mm -hmm. But at least in, like, Western societies, I can see there is just such a societally ingrained misogyny Mm -hmm. that, you know... Yes, yeah, amen. (laughs) Amen to that. Yeah, but it's exactly all this kind of stuff where it's, like, Kate Winslet's fantastic boobs Mm -hmm. were considered inappropriate, but I'm like, how many men on the beach do we see with their Mm -hmm. ass crack hanging out of their fucking swimsuit, (laughs) bare chested, barren at all? And it's like, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to be like cool with that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, if we're we're only how I don't know how far we are into the podcast, it's still pretty early. But I mean, I'll be I'll be completely straight up and say that Kate Winslet's boobs were probably my bisexual awakening. I think I probably yeah owe it to that particular scene. I think may, maybe the two of them in that film. It was it was a good it was a good combination. I think, and it definitely lit something up in my brain. I think where I was like, okay, this is yeah. But both of these people are very good and very and very hot, and I'm I'm fascinated. Anyway, that's that's me getting yeah getting straight into it, I suppose. Shut up, phone. I I think that's really interesting, and I I actually was like really glad we brought that up because I was like, oh, I hope she's gonna say she's like gay or something so that I can talk about this because I've talked a lot about Leo with past people mm-hmm. um and it's not to say that it's um that his that uh, his role is unimportant but i think that rose's role especially mm-hmm. for that time was especially significant because she was the driving character of the film she was the main character mm-hmm. and she was a female character a young female character you know not some you know 30 year old businesswoman with a briefcase and a blackberry you know this was mm-hmm. a girl figuring her life out and rebelling against a much stricter society that than we have now that we might go back to that any day now but mm-hmm. i i remember as a kid it didn't it didn't register with me how important that was until i started seeing especially you know when the aughts were happening and all those rom-coms were coming out where mm-hmm. it was like girl with glasses gets makeover to impress mediocre man and in this, you have two people that would be, you know, one is societally qualitable with um, Cal, and that he's, you know, got the money, mm-hmm. stability, not when it comes to his mental health, but, you know, 
money. And then you have Jack, who's, you know, sweet, caring, and kind and only mm-hmm. wants the best for her. And it's like, you have two quote unquote quality men yes. that are vying for you. And it's not some weird love triangle of like, again, mediocre man and absolutely stunning bombshells of women. It's like, this is a beautiful woman being pursued by two very differently attractive men. No, you're right. And I think like, it's interesting because I think Cal, looking at it now, like from from this perspective, Cal was in a lot of ways, you're right, he was he was attractive and he had like a certain like power to him, but he was sort of almost the personification I guess of like toxic masculinity and that he was kind of he didn't really listen to Rose and he was rough with her and he was he was violent towards the end and he kind of would throw money at things and power and that's how he dealt with stuff and then you're right you had Jack that was who was sensitive yeah and was an artist and and had this real like soft touch about him and they felt yeah like you said they felt more like equals like it felt like he was really rising to her level and he was aware that she was this really, you know, beautiful and kind of powerful woman and that she was obviously intelligent and that she, you know, she came from, you know, that this this high class background and he kind of wanted to to rise to her level rather than kind of bring her down to him, even though he he also was was a really, you, you know, powerful and important person in his own right. It, it felt like they were well matched. Yeah. Right. That's a... And I think that's important because for a long time and then again immediately after that, there was just this slew of girl must change. It was always about them Mm -hmm. changing. No one else ever did. It was about you have to change for a man. And in this case, Jack was telling her, please don't change because I like you exactly like this. And I think now that I'm older too, I really like when she tells him, before they get anywhere that she's going to get off the boat the ship with him because she's she's telling him like i am throwing away my money my title my status my everything for you and if he was trying to like con her he would have been like well maybe let's think about it but he was just like oh my god yes so it's like he was just like yeah i like i like you let's go on a stupid adventure and torture a horse by riding it while we're covered in barf (laughs) yeah yeah no no I know what you mean it was just it felt like she had total control I think or she kind of took control by the end and I mean there's a whole I find the whole kind of gender dynamics with with that film in particular but also with with the actual real life stories of the Titanic like the gender dynamics and the gender roles and how those kind of switched at points I I find really fascinating um because you're right yeah she was probably different from women at that time where she she didn't want to kind of take the expected route or the easy route and she knew what she wanted and she was prepared to do it and you're right she didn't kind of ask Jack like how would you feel if I got off the ship with you she just said I'm I'm doing it I've made my mind up and it's it's happening and if you're if you're ready and you're up for it and you want to like you said go on this adventure with me then we'll do it but yeah it's like very much her driving that I think and especially it's um it's such a difference from the beginning of the movie and uh, did you i don't know if it's available on netflix uk but did you watch this docu-series called keep sweet pray and obey which was about the fundamentalist mormon mm-hmm. church here in the united states so i have not watched that yet it's it's okay. on my list i'll be honest i feel like it might be that there's going to be elements in there that are a bit triggering which which is understandable because mm-hmm. because the whole topic is is just 
like yes. horrific. I, I would like to watch it because I think it's it's important to kind of hear that that story and really understand those those experiences of those women. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's I mean it's horrific really, and sadly it's not not the only you know the only example of that. But I mean, so have you watched it? Is it would you recommend it? I have, I have, and I do recommend it. But there was one part that. What I found was not just very striking, but sort of it gives an explanation for Rose's sort of first half story arc and that she was explaining how this man, Warren Jeffs, was like God to them, you know, and I'm not particularly religious, but when I was young and I was, I remember just thinking like, I want God to love me. I want to be good. I want to be a good person. Mm -hmm. And this woman is talking about how, you know, being born into and marrying into and staying within this community, she, you know, became so accustomed and acclimated to things that she was so afraid of disobeying, she would rather die. Mm -hmm. Because then at least you're quote unquote saved. And I think that explains a lot of, I think some people are like, it's a really extreme action for her to just go from like not wanting to marry Cal to trying to jump off the ship. And then I'm like, it, it seems excuse me, it seems dramatic until you realize what other options there were, mm-hmm. like to call off a big high society wedding for basically no reason. You know, he wasn't having an affair that we know of. There wasn't any, like, even if there was outright abuse, he just kind of dealt with it. Like this would be out of nowhere. And I probably think Cal and Rose would not, uh, Ruth would not let her do that. Even if she said, I'm not doing it, they'd basically just like beat her into submission and drag her down the aisle. So it's, you don't have the option to just say no, you know, you don't have a secret credit card or a secret stash of cash that you can just bounce with. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was almost perfectly understandable that she was just like, I'm done. And now that I'm older, and I realize it's like she was 17 years old, you know, I remember being, I've been depressed and had a lot of issues sort of my whole life. And I, I, I didn't, I don't think I was, you know, ever that low at that point in time. And but I found it the concept of being scared of disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. And it's kind of I think when I watched it when I was younger, I didn't quite. Yeah, I didn't quite understand the, the gravity maybe of that that yeah. part of the film. And it, it yeah, and it almost seems like it's rushed. You kind of think, well, how how like you said, how was she going from se- seeming kind of unhappy with this relationship and and this this um, situation that she's in to you know, literally trying to, to die by suicide. It's, it, it seemed quite extreme at the time, but you're right. When you get older as, as a, as a woman, you know, or as like a, you know, someone who identifies, identifies as female, you, you get more of that sense of, of entrapment and the idea that you can genuinely feel like you have no options left and no choice. And, you know, I, luckily I've never been in that position where I felt forced into, something like that but it's like you said it's not unheard of and it, it has happened and it, and it continues to happen all the time and you can see why women feel so trapped that 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 just seems like freedom I guess that 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 yeah that there is no other way of there's no way of walking that back by just saying I don't want to marry this person I don't want to conform to this this expectation because right. like you said it's it was wouldn't have even back then it would have really not have been a choice and and even today in certain situations like you're talking about there's no yeah I guess I'm kind of rambling a bit but you're right it's like you even though they're 
people would look from look at that from an outside perspective and say, okay, there is a choice. Actually, sometimes the the weight of expectation and the weight of, of other people's power on you and kind of what they want from you is too is too heavy, and and you lose that that choice. And I can also see how she even just, you know, in one day was sitting at her a dinner or tea or just sitting mm-hmm. and suddenly was struck by the thought of if I marry this man, I will then have to have children with him. I will have to protect them from his abuse. Mm-hmm. I will have to protect myself from his abuse. What is going to happen to me? Is he going to kill me? You know, I can imagine her just being really scared and not only just repulsed, by, but genuinely scared of the situation. Because as we see, he it's not exactly like he has a, a short fuse. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. And that's something, again, that I would have missed as a child but yeah when you watch the film back as an adult you see that so much of Cal's behavior is either it's either borderline abusive or it's just it is just abusive and you kind of see that all of that kind of adds up and I think if you've got experience of that kind of relationship which which very fortunately I haven't but but you know I've got enough understanding of it I guess from from other people and people that I know you can see how that that takes a toll and you're right you know she probably would have been sitting there thinking not only will this be my life but I will most likely be pushed into having kids with this person and that that cycle will kind of continue so it's yeah it's dark to think about but it's yeah sadly it's it's kind of the reality I think in a lot of ways. I'm coming back to the sketch scene at a point I promise but before I do that, just like, I want to backtrack it too, because Rose mm-hmm. is supposed to be about, she's 17 at the time, um, uh, the 1912 scenes. Um, Jack is supposed to be like 21-ish, and mm-hmm. Cal is like 30. And so if they're engaged when she's 18, I'm guessing that they probably met when she was mm-hmm. 15 or 16. So what, especially when you're younger teens, you're much more reliant on your parents. Mm-hmm. You you're definitely much more under their thumb. And especially in that kind of society, it also makes sense to me that now that she's older, she's starting to kind of fidget around the weddings coming up, the rings on the finger. And it's just like, Oh God, it's all, it's all coming. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't know. No, no, thank you. I don't want to do this. She's there's also, so, she's so freaking young. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. And it's crazy to think about, isn't it? Cause you, you know, I look back on being, even being like early twenties and, and I feel like so much of your brain just is is not developed like from a psychological perspective but also just in the way you behave it's just there's there's generally so much that that it's not developed yet and that you're not aware of and and yeah it's it's I suppose again at that time that would have been normal that he he might have met her when she was underage but obviously now we look back on that and that's kind of horrible really and you it wasn't s- underage then it was just prime childbearing you yes yeah exactly which is yeah it's horrifying but very yeah but but sadly like very like very normal for that period I guess and yeah it, it would have felt like that that is just the the path that you're kind of like funneled down and you're kind of pushed down that path and that there is no other option you know especially because they I think in the film they mentioned that her family kind of had money and I think her her father has either I can't remember her father has either died or he's left them I think he's died he's he's died yeah thank you yeah and so he's you know and he's left them with debt and they've kind of you know so there's that thing of that needing to make that money back and sort of needing to make some kind of financial 
agreement as well, which again would have been quite common, I guess, back in the day, and probably still is in you know in some in some places. Kind of goes back to that Mormonism thing where it's like she, Ruth is in a in a way transacting her daughter, mm-hmm. and that's how some of the men in that um, the cult would behave. They would be like, "I'm gonna, I have daughters I can marry off. Mm-hmm. You bump me up the ranks." Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just I want to go back to what you said about you know being stupid in your early twenties. I'm stupid <laughs> in my thirties. <30s>. Yeah, so <laughs> same. I have a really weird example in that. A, a year or so ago, I went on vacation with my parents and I brought my, my dog because he's my service animal. I don't bring him every, everywhere, mm-hmm. but you know, when it's a trip, especially I'll take him. And he had strained his hip. So it was kind of limping a little bit, you know, not as energetic, not as bouncy, but still wanting to explore and go on walks. And there was a bunch of tables at this Airbnb, like way more tables that I feel like there should have <laughs> It was just like, we don't ha- know what kind of furniture to put here. Let's put another table and chairs. <laughs> yeah. Um, my mom was working on one of them and I was like, oh, I'll just take the dog out for a walk. So I go over and start calling his name. I'm like, come on, let's go. Cause I see him curled up by her feet. Cause he loves to hang out down there and he's not moving. So I'm starting to get worried because like, did he hurt himself again? Is he like really feeling sick? So I'm going in for like 15 seconds. Like, Hey, come on, come on. But are you okay? Come on. This, et cetera, et cetera. And finally my mom's just like, Hey, like gets my attention. She goes, look, look, look at, look down. And I look down. He's standing right next to me. Mm. I have been trying to call over my mom's laptop bag for <laughs> half a minute. Uh, yeah. No, and I was I've, getting bored. <laughs> uh, I was like, yeah, I was not the smartest person. Um, I'm still not the smartest person. It also explains to me why they thought it was a perfectly good idea to do a nude painting in, not painting, a nude drawing openly in her bedroom like yeah mm-hmm. a plus guys yeah i i see that scene is just it's i mean it's iconic for a reason i think isn't it it's it's iconic right. if you're someone who grew up to realize that you you kind of like women as however you identify <laughs> it's it's kind of iconic that she's it's it's something really powerful for her isn't it she's the one that just says i want you to draw me with nothing on like this is what i want you to do you know he's the tables have kind of turned and he's the one that's kind of taken aback by that and shy. And she's the one that's just like, I want you to, you know, she is almost like in that moment, she knows that she's beautiful and it's a real like embracing of that, I think, an embracing of her body and the fact that she's becoming a woman and she feels, and she feels like safe with him as well. And I think that's, that's really beautiful in a way that, that yeah, even though they're in, like you said, they're, they're randomly like doing it in her, presumably the door hasn't even locked or doesn't lock so anyone could technically walk in like you're right they didn't really think it through but there's something quite sexy I think as well about that element of danger that they almost don't care in that moment and they're very kind of I I guess they've been caught up in that that kind of passion for each other and that and that moment yeah it's cute but it's also kind of like really at least go (laughs) one more room in (laughs) exactly I mean that's a point and it's like they didn't I suppose it's the equivalent of like, would it be the equivalent of taking like a nude of yourself maybe that you might, if someone's kind of drawn a sketch of you and you're kind of keeping it, I, I, I don't know, I suppose you can't really share it in the same way that you could a nude, but they've still got kind of evidence that she's done that, which obviously they find later, but but I guess that's po- probably part of it for her maybe, maybe it's the part of that danger of like, I could be caught, like I, there could be a backlash, but I don't care at this point. 
I do wonder what she thought was going to happen, because I imagine that when she put it in the safe, she probably thought that Cal wasn't going to open it till they got where they were going. Because, like, why would they? There wasn't really any reason to go in and out mm-hmm. of the safe unless you, like, needed something. So I'm like, okay, I'll give her that. She's anticipating that maybe he won't go into the safe until mm-hmm. then. But what was she planning on doing mm-hmm. in between then? Like, what's her plan to, like, sit tight in first class and just, like, jiggle her foot until they made it to New York and then be like, I have to wash my hands for a while and then vanish i don't i don't yeah. even as a kid i was like wait 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 wait. this seems this seems we didn't think this we didn't think this through i don't have a better mm-hmm. idea i'm eight but this seems silly yeah it's i i guess i wonder if she kind of knew that he would find it and she was kind of that was part of it because it's kind of a massive fuck you isn't it to just be like this is oh this it is, is like huge bone. yeah this is like my nude my beautiful nude body that this this guy this beautiful boy has painted for me has sketched for me you know with with his hands and he's lovingly done that he's sketched and shaded over like you know the curve to my body and he's you know and he's really been with me in that moment and he's kind of done something that you will never be able to it's like i'm wearing that stupid fucking trinket (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly and it almost looks like I can't think of the right word, but it almost looks, when she's wearing that completely nude, it looks kind of kitsch. It looks almost kind of like, I don't know, maybe the maybe the word like gaudy works or it just looks out yeah. of place and it looks a bit excessive to the point where I you'd be like, it. It, yeah, exactly. It's just not, it doesn't really work. So it, it feels like that's kind of part of the fuck you of like, I'm wearing oh, this it absolutely kind of tacky is. necklace that you've given me, but I don't actually care. Like, I don't know. It's, I think it would just, be like wearing... <laughs> expensive lingerie that he had bought for her yes it's i just, think it would be that sort of equivalent yeah. of like you bought this for me mm-hmm. with the intention of seeing me wear it with pride and not only do you not get to mm-hmm. see it someone else did and you get the sloppy second remainder <laughs> exactly. it's so good and i think there's that really amazing line where she says uh towards the end she says I'd rather be his whore than your wife I just think that's so powerful I remember like hearing that as a child not quite getting it and I think when you're like an adult you realize that she's you know not not that she really believes that but it's like she'd rather have that I guess that reputation with people and be happy and be loved and be kind of desired you know rather than being his wife like it's kind of there's something so like disgusting in the way she says it, like that it's and it and it's weirdly sexy as well. I can't really explain why, but it's just her taking I guess a bit of like sexual power back, isn't it? And just choosing the way that she, you know, choosing who she wants to give her body to and the way it's it's perceived by people. I think it's a really vicious way of saying there is literally nothing in your power to give me that would make me reconsider my choice. Mm-hmm. to yeah, someone who is used to being able to give someone like he's like if i have a problem i will buy my way out that's exactly mm-hmm. what he did with the heart of the ocean anyway and she's yeah. telling him it's like there is nothing you could... i bet she would have rather he strangled her right then and there mm-hmm. and just killed her it, it's like saying it. yeah it's like saying i can't i can't be bought like i don't want your money i don't want your like your yeah. there's literally nothing jewelry. you can do yeah yeah it's it's really powerful it's just it's yeah. I mean, I, I I think about that line quite a lot as an adult, and I just think that's yeah. That there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of feminism. I think I've noticed within the film, like as I've grown up, that I just think is really is really interesting to look back on it with that perspective. 
Well, tell me about that, especially because you you brought up that the drawing scene, especially, was sort of like a sexuality awakening moment mm-hmm. for you. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. I mean, so I, I, so I think at that time I didn't sort of realize that I was bisexual. I didn't realize I was attracted to men and women, or at least I didn't have a, a term for it or a name for it. But I knew sure. that obviously Leo was. I mean, still, still is a gorgeous man, but but at that time he was just you know he was stunning like he was an incredibly stunning person and you know like everybody else I did I did have a bit of that kind of Leo mania but but Kate Winslet in that film is just like something else and I think yeah if I if I can get like I don't know how far I can go with this but I mean like the scene where they're kind of in the car together it's just that that maybe classic thing of like okay I don't know who I want to be I don't know where I want to be maybe maybe you know, somewhere in the middle, like that, that would be perfect. <laughs> but I mean, I know that I don't know who I want to be in that moment, because they're both beautiful. And, and, and they seem so happy and comfortable in that moment. Um, yeah, so I think that that definitely. So again, I considering I was only 10, that definitely started something for me. And I remember I drew because I quite like sketching as well. This is quite embarrassing, actually. I don't think I've ever said this to anybody. Um, but I remember I drew a kind of sketch of like a, I guess like a nude woman, like very similar to to the one in the film. Mm-hmm. And I remember I drew it and I was really proud of it. But then I I panicked and I was like, what if somebody comes in and they see this picture in my room and they think I'm really weird? So I like folded it up into really small parts and like hid it somewhere. And I occasionally I would get it out to look at it. And I look back on that and I'm like, that's so, it's so gay. <laughs> like That's such a gay thing. But I just drew a little sketch of a naked woman and then panicked and like hid it <laughs> just in case my parents thought that was weird. So yeah, that's, that's my, my, my bisexual awakening. But I think that's important because it also ties in with the feminist angle because she's not just passively being swept along in this current. She's making choices. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you know, she's so I mean, and you've, it's not just her really either. It's kind of, um, you know, it's Molly Brown as well, you know, played by Kathy Bates, who's just an absolute icon, like international she, treasure. Oh, my God, she's so good. <laughs> and she is so powerful in that film. And I know that, you know, the, the, the real Molly Brown was was equally as powerful. And it's yeah, there's there's a lot there were a lot of women on the Titanic that I think when it came down to it and, and they were kind of in survival mode. They actually took on maybe a more, at that point, a more traditionally masculine role. And actually there were a lot of women that took control and they kind of became more dominant and they kind of took over things and they they really were active in their survival. And I think that that's really interesting, even though they'd probably been in very tight, like rigid gender roles when it came down to it, that that opened up and they suddenly found this this power in themselves I guess I think that's also important too when there was you consider like sex scenes especially that are presented because I feel as though sex scenes and porn really set the standard for how women are especially in heterosexual relationships are treated and a lot of these sex scenes there is not really any attention paid to the woman um just immediately like penetration and go Mm -hmm. and she's depicted as enjoying it or just not it doesn't seem to be any benefit for her but in this you know case jack is very concerned with rose's comfort and Mm -hmm. making sure she's okay and everything and even though she's the initiator he still checks in to be like you 
sure about this mm-hmm. because he's interested in, you know, not just her feeling safe, but, you know, the implication being that he wants her to be comfortable and to enjoy herself. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's a really, it's a, considering that it's, it's kind of, I, I guess, considering that, that it's an affair and it's illicit and, the, you know, their first you know, that their first time having sex is in the back of like a car that they shouldn't be in. And it's, you know, it's got that kind of level of danger and, and, you know, maybe slight discomfort to it. Yeah, it's incredibly healthy, I think, in a lot of ways, because you're right, they both check in with each other and, and it's sensual. And it's kind of, it seems almost implied that like, it might be like a very important moment for Jack as well. Like considering he's older, it's probably not his first time, but there's still a level of, of, you know, like she says to him at one point that you're, what does she say to him? Like you're, you're shaking or you're trembling or something. She says he's trembling, which yeah. I will say another podcast uses that as the example for why they think he's the virgin. Yes. And it's so beautiful that like he's, yeah, that he's trembling. And it's like, it could be you're right because actually it is his first time. And and maybe he's, you know, even though he's been to Paris and he's met these these women and he's painted them and sketched them, he, he may he may well be, you know, a virgin himself. But it's like he's just they're they're so equal in that moment. It's almost like a bit it, it's it's almost like I guess how like a queer relationship might be, or it's got that that slight it's, it sounds weird to say, but it's almost got that slight queerness and that they're just so equal in that moment. And there's there's no dominance from him. It's just very much that they're in it together and they're really experiencing something beautiful at the same time. But yeah, it's 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 just it's so well done. I think it's really, really well done. I don't think it gets enough credit as as a sex scene. I think it's just a very, very beautiful one. And it's, you know, it's so well shot and and you know all the little details like the hand like on the window and the steam and 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 that shot of them together it's just it's just so well done I think because maybe I don't know if I I mean I'd qualify it as a sex scene because you know there's no actual nudity you see them mm-hmm. when they're kissing they're fully closed and then we cut away to I think we cut away to the bridge or the crow's nest I don't remember it's it's been a minute um and then when we (laughs) cut back to them again you know she's under his coat so again completely completely clothed Mm -hmm. it's clear that they are finished being being very sexy in the backseat of a car Mm -hmm. but it's like there's no actual sex shown but there is definitely that like pre and post-sexual intimacy Mm -hmm. i think that might be what's different is that a lot of other things are missing the first two it goes straight for just the, you know, the sex itself. But this basically goes the opposite route. And it's just like, no, I'm just going to show like a little bit of the foreplay. And then mm-hmm. just the che- the after check, you know, like the check-in of just like, you good? I'm, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. It's so central. And you're right. I think it's, it's so subtle that you, again, there's no nudity. There's not really any, like, you know, the, the, the most erotic that it gets is the hand on the window but I think that's so powerful just as an image and the image afterwards you know where they're both kind of trembling and and it's just so yeah it it just it's not giving you you know it's not explicit it's not giving you a lot of nudity but it's so erotic in its own way I think and it's just really powerful and those little moments are so special I feel erotic was a really good word for it because erotic and sexual are not the same thing and that seems to be a pretty um, interesting misunderstanding for a lot of people in that they're, they are the same thing. It's like, they're, mm-hmm. they're not, though, because sex can be very unerotic. Mm-hmm. 
But things like that drawing scene, for example, was especially to, you know, Jack and Rose, because, you know, they're the characters in the film, that was very erotic. But it wasn't, you know, overtly sexual in the strict sense of the word. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. And I remember watching it as I meant so I oh my god, I've lost track of the amount of times I have actually watched the film. It's been a lot. I think the last time I watched it with like an audience was in I can't remember when it was it was when they put it on in 3D they put it back into into cinemas into theaters in um, the US it was like 2012 yeah that that would be it wouldn't it because I think it would, it would have been the anniversary um and I remember watching it then and yeah you mm-hmm. still you still get like loads and loads of giggles and people are quite uncomfortable <laughs> with with the, the sketching scene which I find so interesting like it's not it, it, it's just so subtle and it's so like vanilla, I think, in a lot of ways. But I think it's because it's just so sensual. And it's so erotic. And it's like, I always love the little moment where he's like, he's kind of shading like her, her like a curve of like her breast or something. And she says, oh, you're blushing. And it's just so, it's just, it's really kind of beautiful. And, and you're right. It's erotic in a way that you don't, always see and I think sometimes that's a bit uncomfortable for people because it's not sexual in like a way that we would expect it like it's really there's a real mutual like sexuality there and and she's got a lot of power and control in that moment as well and even though they're not touching each other it's 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 incredibly erotic you know yeah and I think it also was a a mainstream example of finding and falling in that kind of love that is mutually respectful. There were so many examples that were toxic or saying that you should settle or that, again, you need to change yourself. And this was a blockbuster film showing you an example of not just a woman taking control, but choosing to be with someone who respected who she was, her boundaries and her limits. I think you're right. I think he, for like lack of a better expression, I think he saw her, like he really saw her as who she was. And I think she'd been lacking that. And it's, yeah, I think in in a lot of ways, apart from the fact that obviously their relationship unfolds over I guess it's over like three days or it's something incredibly like three or four days. Yeah. Like obviously that that's something to do with being young I guess that everything feels like really frenzied and urgent and it's like oh you know we've just met but I love you and I want to I want to die with you and obviously that that itself is not healthy but I think everything else not really but yeah but everything else kind of felt the way they treated each other felt yeah quite quite healthy like they really they communicated well and they they really saw each other for who they were and they, they weren't trying to change each other even though there were parts of each other that w- were very conflicting and very different and you, you know may, maybe weren't combat compatible they were still yeah r- really kind of in it for the long run which is just yeah which is it's depressing really you think they could have actually been quite a solid couple had they had the titanic either not sunk or had they actually both escaped like that would have been ideal but i suppose it was i drama. know <laughs> and then it becomes a, a feel-good movie yeah, it, it would have been lacking in a bit of the drama, I think. But but yeah, just, I think... Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's important. And I mean, I know that we really didn't get around to talking about the actual ship itself, but that's okay. I, I like talking about the movie, again, because there was a lot of important themes 
that were presented at a time when those themes were not as prevalent because mm-hmm. now you can i like i love the um tv show avatar the last airbender mm-hmm. it is one of my favorite shows and I really like it because it has an exceptionally diverse selection of strong female characters. Mm-hmm. Like for people who are unfamiliar with the show, it's like you'll find anyone from like the stereotypical like bubbly, you know, super femme type, mm-hmm. but she'll kick your ass. And then you have the like doom and gloom goth who will also kick your ass. And mm-hmm. then the like sweet matronly one who will also kick your ass. And it's just like, they all are powerful in their own ways, but they're exceptionally different mm-hmm. women. Girls are all under 18. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I've never, I've never seen the show Avatar. I have seen, I think I watched the film that everybody unanimously oh, hated. poor thing. Yeah, I think I, I may I don't know. I've got friends that are like really, really into that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm surprised I haven't come across it yet, like the original series. Maybe yeah, maybe I should give it a go because I think it's yeah, it's it's always kind of been been in my I guess like my periphery of stuff that's quite interesting. But I but you're it's really good. Yeah. And especially being a TV show, unlike a movie, it has a little bit of like well not a little, mm-hmm. it has much more time to play with. So they're able to go through some very impressive story arcs that, mm-hmm. you know, children's shows don't normally deal with things like genocide. No, it's not really. It doesn't really come up in conversation that much. But I suppose it, oh. it, it kind of is a sadly a reality in the world. So kids probably need some understanding of the the shit stuff as well. Um, exactly. But um, yeah, I mean, you're right. So we haven't. I mean, speaking of the actual ship itself, like I, one of my favorite. So one of my favorite books about the Titanic, because I have read quite a few, is Titanic Minute by Minute, which is by. Is it by Jonathan Mayo, I think? And it's like a very, it, it's not massively about the logistics of the sinking. It's more about the, um, like, like the relationships and kind of the dynamics of the people that were on there and kind of what, what they did as the ship sank and what they were doing leading up to that. I mean, where he got all the information, I don't know. Like, it's incredibly well researched. But I love the story of, have you heard of Violet Jessup? yeah so I I love her story because she would have been 23 I think 24 at the time and yeah and not only survived the Titanic but then survived another um another um um ship sinking I think in 19 like 16 maybe like only a few years after but yeah survived two shipwrecks in her lifetime and then and then died quite late I think in like the 70s but yeah I think I think that's really cool because you could imagine just being that young and and kind of just being maybe treating that as as you know just a job to make a bit of money and and to be able to travel and then to suddenly be caught up in just this historical crazy terrifying situation and then for it to happen again and still survive it I just think that's really cool I would have been so mad if that happened to me just because of <laughs> seriously I feel like I paid my friggin' dues, Poseidon. Yeah, I think I think I'm done. Okay, I've survived one. Like, leave me alone. Clearly, I've won. Um, there was one as well about I can't remember the name of the woman, but he and again, I don't know where he's found this information because it's so it's such it's so like specific these little like, anecdotes. But apparently, there was a woman on the boat who'd been told by a fortune teller like before her wedding that she was going to die in in a shipwreck that she was going to die on a ship um and she did survive so that must have been really trippy to be like i've been i've been told that this is how i'm gonna die was this woman this random woman right or am i gonna be okay but yeah she did i think in the end but but yeah that must have been 
I don't know why you'd still get on a ship, really, if you had been told no. that. I don't think I would really have risked that, but oh well. No, I'd be landlocked for the rest of my life. Be like, no, I'm just never leaving Europe. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not even getting in the bath. Like, no, uh-uh. it's not happening. No, I would do that, but it's like, no, 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 a boat, a ship? No, you want me to get on a paddle boat? Get out. No, not even like a kayak. I'm not doing it. Exactly. Here. Get that canoe away. <laughs> yeah, just no, no. I'm, I'm going to be on dry land for a bit, but... But yeah, it's like little, it's like little moments like that that I really like. There was also, and I'm really annoyed because I can't remember the name of the woman. I think it might have been the Countess of Roth, but there was a woman who took charge of one of the lifeboats and kind of became a tiller. And apparently she was incredibly like dominant and she really took control of the situation and she was giving out orders and she was really, she was like the team leader for that particular lifeboat. And I I find that fascinating because that must have been the one time in her life where she was like, okay, I've, I've had this in me and now I can, I can actually take control and I can actually escape this gender role and I can, I can be in control of this and I can be the leader. And that, that must have been weirdly like, empowering and thrilling, you know, at the same time totally. as being horrible, obviously. Well, yeah, but you find yourself in a position where that is an option, as you said. You know, these boats were mostly filled with women and children mm-hmm. and you need X many people to row them and there's so many hours at sea, you're cold, you have to swap people in and out. You're, you eventually have to do something that you've never done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it must, it must have just been interesting. And again, it's that idea that they, in that moment where you know, survival instinct kicked in and it became life or death, like they, probably a lot of those women ended up doing things that they'd never done before. They'd probably never rowed a boat or or had to give orders or bit, probably been in control of anything really at that time, you know, especially if they were, they were not single and they were married. Um, you know, it, it must've been, you know, weirdly exhilarating maybe to find that in them. And it was probably just because they were in a life or death situation and, and may, maybe they never got that opportunity again to, 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 to really fulfill that part of themselves, I guess. That is true. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. That's an interesting interesting question to posit because I'm sure that there are situations where suddenly people do have those discoveries where it's like, I lost so much, but I'm alive. It's like, I don't know if many people in that situation even knew that they had that kind of strength. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. And I mean, it's like psychologically, it must have been because it, 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 we look at these people, you know, in 1912, and they seem so different from us, but actually there, there would not have been that much difference in like the way they reacted to things and like the psychological perspective and the way they would have been feeling. And, you know, it's, it's really fast. I think it's really fascinating when you, hopefully this doesn't sound morbid, but when you put normal people in like a in like a life-threatening situation or a very like high pressure or like tense situation. I think it's really interesting seeing how people respond to that. You know, it's just really, yeah, it's really fascinating, I think. And it probably would not be, there's probably not many differences between then and now, except maybe they, you know, they would have had probably stricter class and gender roles, but. Yeah, I think everyone would just rush the boats now. Ooh, yeah, actually, that's the point. I mean, there's are you on um, are you do you use TikTok by any chance? No. Yeah. So I always thought I was too old for it, and then I kind of gave in, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm just I may be thirty, but I'm just gonna get on TikTok. <laughs> it's fine." But there was just a great TikTok about like Gen Z 
being like online, like chronically online during the sinking of the Titanic and how it would have been, it would have been like memed and it would have been kind kind of an amazing thing to watch happen in like real time. So yeah, the, the situation would have been so different, but but also similar in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah, true. Then again, people might have been way more quick about sending information to different people. It'd be like, yo, my buddy in first class just said mm-hmm. this shit's going down. We gotta get <laughs> out of here. No, you're right. I mean, presumably, well, I guess with the technology you have now, you, you would hope it wouldn't happen in the same way that it did. Because I think a lot of the issue right. was, was the, the, the kind of slowness of like getting the distress call out and actually letting close nearby ships know that they were that that there was a problem and there was an SOS so I think that presumably that would be very different now but you know but but then apart from that things might have been quite similar yeah no that's again one of those fun things to think about where you're just like would it be better or worse I don't I don't know I don't know I don't know enough about these things (laughs) I think I think probably a lot of it would have been similar, but I think, yeah, the there'd probably be more of a, maybe like more of an individualistic like aspect to it, I think, where it might have been more every man for himself, which I think, I think back then there, there would have been more of a sense of like, this is your family and your community and you don't, like it was like a lot of men that, that survived the Titanic, that actually, because they, they were allowed, they didn't push their way into a lifeboat. They, they, they were allowed on. You know, there was room for them, but they were kind of like ostracized and shamed when they got home. Like they were kind of almost punished for surviving because people assumed that that they had taken the place of like a child or a woman. People kind of called them cowards. It's it's really fascinating. Like obviously that, you know, for good reason and like for better that that wouldn't happen now. But that that's a really sad aspect of it, that there were men that that survived, you know, and then were kind of were kind of punished for it when they got home it was kind of implied that they were cowardly for not letting themselves die in the Atlantic like it's really it's really bizarre looking back on it it's really interesting the way that people think back on things and again as we're saying you know I wonder if half of these people again were they in the same situation how many of them would be immediately shoving as many women and children Mm -hmm. out of their way as possible to secure their seat in a lifeboat like come on yeah, I mean, about yourself. yeah, I mean, yeah, sadly, that that probably would be true, which again, I mean, maybe, maybe that's like a more fair way of, you know, like a fairer way of doing it that you do just, you, it is every man for himself. But I suppose it's, it's, yeah, it would be quite a, yeah, like sad indictment, I guess, of maybe how things have changed a bit and, and community and stuff. But yeah, I suppose you just, you just never know, do you? Nope. And I hope I never have to find out. No, no, same. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a fan of, as like some people will be able to attest, I'm not a massive fan of boats anyway. <laughs> I think like small, small That's boats fair. are fine. I think bigger boats, especially with like a lot, with like a lot of chop and like a lot of waves is quite, it's quite unnerving. So I'm I'm hoping I'll, I'll be able to skip that <laughs> when it happens, hopefully. Totally, totally fair. <laughs> well, Rose, thank you so much for letting me steal your time and talk directly into your ear for like an hour. <laughs> no, it's been it's been really good. I I feel like I 
I went on a bit of a tangent. I feel like I made it oh. very much about the sex, which wasn't deliberate. I don't care. But yeah, I think it kind of just, yeah, like came up. But it's, yeah, I think it's just the way, I, I guess it's that like formative experience, isn't it? It's kind of how I yeah. remember it. It was like a really key thing I remember about the film in particular as a child. So I think it makes sense that it kind of came up. But but yeah, hopefully it, yeah, didn't, it did. didn't verge into like bad territory. No, I, I, <laughs> I don't, don't know. Think it did, but Good. I don't think it did. And I also think it was a really personal story. So I want to thank you for sharing it because I'm sure there's other people that can relate to it. I mean, I say that sincerely. I really do. Yeah. Oh no, hundred percent. I think it's, I think it was like, yeah, Titanic and bisexuality probably are linked in quite a big way. There's probably a large like community of people that can totally relate to that. Yeah. I'm sure there is, but again, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. That was fun. Did you have fun? I had fun. I lost my mouse. That, nope, I didn't. I found it again. <sighs> We're really put together today. If you would like to talk to uh, Rose instead of me, because you've heard me talking for a while and I'm an idiot, you should find her on Instagram. She is violet.o.rchid. It's like violet orchid, but it's a little split up. Um, and that's so you can get in touch with her. And if you want to get in touch with me for what reason, I don't understand, but I mean, you should, cause I'm, I'm kind of fun. Uh, you should send me an email at titanictalkline at gmail.com or get in touch with me on any of the social medias, Instagram, I have Facebook, I have Twitter, I have TikTok, but I don't change, I don't check it. Um, and that's all titanictalkline at gmail.com. See you next time. Bye. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word, Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at Titanic Talkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's Titanic Talkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!